Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. Today I'm joined by Kieran Lewis, South London-born graphic designer, public speaker and Adobe Live host. Kieran got in touch a number of years ago at the advent of his collaboration with Olga as one half of Olga and Kay and I wanted to speak to him ever since but it's taken this long for the opportunity to come around. But here we are, these things operate just like creativity on their own timeline and Kieran's got a lot to discuss about meaningful work, including his wonderful design for Still Breathing, 100 Black Voices on Racism, a tremendous book by Harper Collins. We're getting into all that and more. Hello, hello and welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast. I'm Ben Talon, I am back, I am loving the momentum of this show at the moment and I hope that you guys have just a modicum of that because it keeps me going. A uh, big thank you to the support of the show before we go any further as ever. Illustration X, incredible illustration and animation agency based in London, spread around the world, representing a great number of illustrators, animators, motion graphics specialists, live illustrators, event illustrators, you name it, they've got it and you can see it all now on their portfolios at illustrationx.com. How are you doing guys? I hope you're well, I hope you're enjoying the sunshine, we've had a, a run of it here in the UK. And it's not yet reached those terrifying and uncomfortable levels of last summer. I hope we don't get there, but I have a horrible feeling we're gonna. But we just have to keep in the shade, don't we? And make the best of it. Um, I hope you're good. I keep saying that. And I mean it. (laughs) So I mentioned at the top of the show I wanted to talk to Kieran Lewis. And I thought he might knock me back because Kieran got in touch a few years ago. And... um, we were both very keen to have a conversation and it was early days in his collaboration with Olga of Olga and Kay, which we're going to get into. And it's not that I didn't want to do it, I absolutely did because the work they were doing was tremendous and it chimed with me on so many levels and any long-term listeners of the show will know fine well that I'm very passionate about the power of design and about activism in all its forms and uh, the, you know from the subtle right through to the hard-hitting necessary stuff. So it, it really did get me going but I think it timed when I wasn't feeling overly enthused about the show so you know again long-term listeners will know that I've gone on little breaks here and there and I'm a big believer in putting things down when the time is right and and picking them back up you know not necessarily walking away and going I'm done it's over which of course there are things when it's time and it's good to do that but in this instance with a long format long-term show like this podcast seven years now there are invariably going to be times when you have to listen to those feelings and you don't have the same zest that you once had. And maybe that means you need to repackage it, repurpose it, change the format, change the duration, um, the frequency. There are so many things with running a project like this. And I produce everything myself. This is all done 
by me, you know, and I know a lot of, lot of podcasters outsource the production and the music beds, and I don't create the music beds, that's done by Dirty Freud, long-term collaborator and good friend of mine, but there are, there have been times when I have gone too hard at this thing and I've been juggling too much and something else needed my focus, be that parenthood, be that illustration work, be that other forms of my creativity. And I remember it falling at a time when it was on the wane and I really wanted to do it, but I was just running out of steam and I needed to walk away. And I did so at a time that, that meant that I missed the boat with Olga and Kay. Um, so I kept an eye on Kieran's work ever since and we didn't really talk much in between, but when I saw him out there doing the promotional rounds, talking about this new book, Still Breathing, 100 Black Voices on Racism, again, it, it just hit the same notes that Olga and Kay did because it's powerful, important work that showcases, you know, just how effective visual communication and storytelling can be when it comes to the big issues that we all face in the world today. So I absolutely had to find out what was going on and talk to Kieran, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get into his background. We're finally going to get into Olga and Kay like I always wanted to. And we're going to get into this book um, in all its forms and talk about this beautiful project because it's, you know, it's very, very powerful stuff. I'm I'm very aware of my privilege as a, as a, as a white guy who is able to live in a, you know, in a nice area. I'm able to pay my bills. I haven't grown up suffering any kind of prejudice, truthfully. I might have had someone shout ginger at me a couple of times in the street or, you know, um, take the piss because I'm a Leeds United fan, but I don't consider those things to be the same gravity as racial abuse. Let's just say it, racial abuse, because that's what this book is about. It's, it's very raw. I read it. And I felt very moved by every story in the book. And, and there's a, a great range of approaches to these stories. Um, and it, it's not something that has come into my world in a way that I have been touched by directly. I was going to say personally, that's not true. I have close friends who are of colour. I have pe friends from all over the world. I have... Um, Many people in my world who have suffered prejudice in some way, shape or form, all of it wrong. Different levels of it depends on your standpoint. It's not a conversation I particularly want to get into because it's all valid. So, you know, the, the people who are touched by this will, you know, will they're the only ones who can truly tell you. And that's what this book does. So... The, the brief, so let's get the blurb from Kieran's website. So Still Breathing, 100 Black Voices on Racism, 100 Ways to Change the Narrative is a collaboration between HarperCollins, Harper Inspire and The Eye. The publication was edited by actresses Suzanne Packer and Suzette Llewellyn. The publication focuses on 100 black voices from across the British community. Everyone featured has a voice, their lived experience to help us set up a true conversation about racism in Britain. Those featured include Beverly Knight, David Lammy, Kwame Amar, and Bishop Rose Hudson Wilkin. From the cover to the interior, Kieran designed the entire 300-page hardback publication. In terms of the design process, he was keen to make each feature bespoke through the editorial design process. This involved a typographic approach which highlighted important aspects within the copy. Um, I found that incredibly powerful, as we're going to get into. I felt that it was a very smart move on Kieran's behalf to strip this back and really shine the light on these kind of 
stories that have to be confrontational in a sense that they have to make you sit up and realise that this shit is going on in people's lives in 2023 and, and you know years leading up to it. Um, it's a book I like to get out every so often and just remind myself and it makes me feel that as a person who hasn't had to deal with this, I certainly do have a role to play in contributing to the voice against this kind of bullshit and that's what I want to do when I cover these kind of topics. Just a, it's an incredible showcase of graphic activism in a, in a way that you don't think of when you hear the word activism. You know, we think, I think, I think the default mindset is kind of placards or grandiose stunts and that is valid too in the right way when it's done properly but I'm as a writer as an author of a big lover of books I, this really got me going because of the format as well there's a subtlety in books and an ownership and there's time for it to sit in and marinate and I think that's really important too um, but I've talked enough we're going to get into it I hope you enjoy I want your feedback as ever at Ben Talent or it's now changed the creative condition underscore on Instagram uh, and I believe, I think Twitter, I think the change went through on there. God knows, anyway. I've gone on enough. Big thanks to the sponsor, Illustration X. Head over to Kieran Lewis, that's K-I-E-R-O-N, lewis.com, to check out Kieran's awesome work. Feedback on the email is also fine. Hello at bentallen.com. And if you do have time, please, 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 please support the show by dropping a little review on your preferred platform, be it Spotify or SoundCloud or Google Pods. Because um, it really does help me and it goes a long way. And I do this thing for pure passion, for love, out of my own schedule. And I just want to champion creativity. I want it to find its right place in society at the very top of the tree. Um, and just tell a friend, little review, little subscription. They're, they're, they're the ways to help. So cheers for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with graphic designer Kieran Lewis. I really enjoyed school. I mean, if we're going to go right really far back, I remember in school thinking I, I really enjoyed drawing. I enjoyed um, the two important classes for me was art and English. And that's because I really enjoyed writing and I loved basically drawing. And I didn't know at the time that would be a career. But I had a feeling I would want to do something that touches on what I enjoy doing in general, even if it's down the line, but whatever that might be. Um, and with the English side of things, it's funny because now where I'm doing, you know, articles for blogs or I'm doing hosting, there's elements where I have to rely, tap into that, you know, that reading and writing skills, which sometimes I don't necessarily do in my full time as, as a creative, right? Um, so it's quite nice to kind of tap into that. Um, and then kind of going into education, you know, I went to, um, I went to Southampton Solent University. I was studying video game design at one stage. And, uh, that, that was a weird period because that was a year of, um, so I don't know why actually, well, I know, I know why I did it because I was really interested in gaming. That was my thing back growing up as a kid. Um, but graphic design is really what I should be doing. And that's what I ended up doing. So I changed courses after that first year. Um, and then went to Winchester School of Art to get my degree in marketing, branding and graphic design. Mm. And so you need a year out to kind of realise what you want to be doing. Um, within that year of doing game design, you know, we did live drawing, animation. Um, there's still elements in there that I could have taken, that I did take into my graphic design pathway when I changed courses. Um, but I think I just needed that moment of still not realising really what I 100% wanted to do. And you just felt like you you had to just know what you want to do because you now left school. Well, you left, um, yeah, you left school. You know what is the next thing you do next um so it kind of felt like a bit of a deer in the headlights kind of moment um but then i really found my feet in in, in winchester school of art where i got my degree and uh, that was great three years for sure mm, yeah that was an interesting place to go i, I live in salisbury now so i'm, I'm just down the road okay. from, from winchester yeah so yeah that's uh, I've, I've only been a handful of times to the city but it looks really cool 
It's nice. It's a very, it's, it's almost a Hogwarts like. I always describe it as because obviously I, I grew up in South London, Brixton, which you couldn't, this, I mean, you could even, uh, the, 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 the difference in terms of location and area and culture, people is so vast. Um, but I think that was the beauty of being able to kind of tap into that people skills of how you know you how you, know, you kind of operate in different cultures and different people and surroundings and settings where you know you grew up in South London but then you go to uni in say Winchester mm. you meet walks of life so I think it was quite nice to kind of tap into those elements of different types of friends that you wouldn't necessarily have growing up um, and that's kind of that mentality of, of being able to be respectful of other people I've kind of honed on that even as an adult now you know growing up into into the freelance world, which I think kind of I, I use that a lot with my people skills. I think with the freelance clients that I work with now, as a as I think as a backing because of what I've done whilst at uni. Well, this is yeah, this is something that I feel gets a little swept under the carpet now because of the the, the fees, you know, with education and everything. Whereas actually, no matter what you're studying, it's you know, it's about gaining independence and finding your feet away from the family for people who, who decide mm -hmm. to go that path. I mean, it's certainly a bigger part of what I took from it as much as the degree, you know. 100%. People forget as well, you know, uni, it's, um, it is the, the, the working side elements, but it's also just being a human, you know, being an adult, you know, having to live out of home, having to cook for yourself, sustain yourself, you know, it's all those basics. And I always say that, you know, you don't have to go to uni, of course, because it's not for everyone, university, but if you're able to go and even stay on campus and elements, you will learn so much about yourself, you know, how you interact with other people. And then, you know, that's, that's, you know, valid people skills as you grow up in as an adulthood. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you said, it's something that's really quite important in our industry, especially when you're freelancing. You know, you have to work with a really broad spread of people from different backgrounds. And, you know, it's um, somebody said to me, I did, a, I did an episode last week uh, with a guy called Jeffrey Madoff. He's like a, a producer in New York. And he said he was talking about personal branding and he, he sort of said, I kind of, I don't buy into the whole personal branding thing. He said, yeah, okay, you've got the logo and you've got the, the visual identity and everything else. But he said, to me, personal branding is what people say about you when you've just left the meeting room. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I on the wall, but you'll never be there and you wouldn't realise what you really say. And I think that speaks to what you say there about that, you know, the need to be able to kind of operate in all these different circles, you know, if you if you just learn to kind of embrace people and, and tolerate difference with people then i think that's you know then then you're good on that front <laughs> uh, you know i've always said when i've gone to events especially design you know creative events whether it's in you know east london or wherever parts of london when i go to an event when you've got amazing um you know talented super talented professional people what are they like socially i always wonder what are they like kids in school because i always think of it as a little bit of a you could be the most talented person in the world but if you're socially awkward it's very difficult that conversation or i mean shyness is that's not discussing it's more the idea of being able to just you know put that facade beside and actually just be you know fairly transparent and just be comfortable i think um you know the more you feel comfortable in yourself then that kind of projects out to how people perceive you as well um so for me it's it's i mean i like talking to people in general i like meeting people and i think that's putting aside the design skills that's fed in a lot into how what i'm doing now with different clients because of that people skills and that vibe we have at that initial early stage yeah, very much so. And I think if you, if you, like you said, if you really learn to own exactly who you are naturally and how you feel comfortable, you know, that that's, that's confidence. And, and this came up on a, another show and a conversation I had, and it was about this idea that people often take confidence as being brash or, or you know, kind of loud. And it's really not, it's, it's confidence with your own nature really. And, and, and then, you know, once you've got that, then you find your, you find your circles, don't you? hundred percent but it, but it's definitely there as well you do you do 
within places that I've worked at, mainly in uh, the advertising space. So I, of course, no names because I'm a professional on my part. But you, you do find you're still going to get those individuals where, you know, the, the cockiness or the arrogance. And I mean, that's just people in general with different groups of people, not just our industry. It's just humans. And I think the more you work at different places, the more you navigate and understand how people are in certain situations and then you kind of know okay well that's the people i might want to you know stay stay away from or people that you feel like oh okay we could work well together let's make it happen but um yeah i moving forward i've always been you know if we vibe really well and there's an energy and it makes life a lot easier and a lot more transparent for for both parties really mm, absolutely so so in terms of the first professional steps then you know what was did you have a sense when you were studying where you wanted to go in the industry or did you kind of do some stumbling I well actually in my it was my second year at uni I was able to have an internship um, at an advertising agency in Barbican and it was um, it was my friend's dad who owned a company which again back that people I mean people who you know that plays a massive part I won't even deny that um, and that helped a lot because I was able to I remember being so nervous um, even thinking back to it now for nervous thinking about it because. It, it was an exciting experience, but because you're in that space where you're working with live clients, you're working on deadlines, briefs, it's so different to uni experience, right? And I think I learned so much in that. What I was doing, I was going back every summer whilst in my second year. So second year summer, and then the third year I went back as well. Um, and what was cool about that is that I started to build quite a nice rapport with those who I worked with. Um, <clears throat> I worked with some really good clients whilst being there. Um, I was able to use the skills that I learned in this in, in the internship and then apply it back to uni as well. So not necessarily the design skills. It was design skills, but also just, you know, how to articulate yourself, how to, you know, deliver briefs, how to, um, you know, explain your rationale for a project. Because I always think growing up, um, even going back into school days, I talk really fast. That's always been something I've always had. And I, I ramble because I think it's something in my head. I know what it is I want to say. And you assume, well, no one else knows what you want to say until you say it. That's how conversation works and I think those elements of knowing to just take your time and speak and digest and really think about what you want to say first before saying it I learned that heavily whilst in this internship um and then when I left uni I was up at a full-time placement as a junior designer so that was my first jump in straight out of uni so I was quite fortunate to have that um almost that springboard into the industry straight after after graduation Mm, I, I have this i have the, the speed talking is a thing for me too you know it's like <laughs> constantly, constantly checked for it growing up and it's like oh god i've really got what you now i mean this thing has been really helpful for that actually but occasionally i do just i get excited and i, I fall back <laughs> into it and then and then somebody will comment on the you know on the podcasts and it's just like you talk too fast <laughs> i wait for the days where you can do briefing through interpretive dance you know and that, that's all you really need to do you just do a little highland jig or something and then you'll be able to to know yeah. what people are really trying to say um but yeah it's just, it's just like you said it's just really think about what you want to say first before saying it. Um, and that, that's not a bad thing in general. That's just a life thing, isn't it? I think that can be applied to any walks of life. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so let's talk about Olga and Kay. What were the origins of, of the, that collaboration? Yeah, Olga and Kay. So it's um, so Olga and Kay is a, is a creative uh, collaboration with myself and Olga Kotoska, who's a Latvian um, freelance photographer and videographer. And we met um oh my goodness man we met back in 2016 and we met on a photo shoot um so Olga's was freelance at the photo shoot that I was at and it's weird because we just started to just talk really like vibe really well we had conversations about you know the work that we're both working on things that we enjoyed doing and one thing that was quite apparent to me when I first met Olga 
was because where she grew up in Latvia, and obviously I grew up in South London, Brixton, we had such different childhoods growing up. And we were talking about like growing up as kids and things that we've seen growing up and like even, you know, how we perceive design from our areas that we've grown up in. And I think from a very, we could tell straight away that we were both on the same page where we were both fascinated about our, our personal stories about how we grew up and whatnot. And then after that shoot, I think we must have maybe, I dropped her an email maybe I don't know, seven months, seven or eight months later, just said, do you want to grab a coffee by South Bank? Grabbed a coffee and then we started to talk about ideas for a project. We just started to talk about ideas of um, the idea of going around different communities um, and just taking photographs and speaking to people. That's literally it. There was no, you know, I don't want to pretend like there was a massive, you know, blue ball print or any, you know, fine light. It was pretty much just the idea of, us wanting to take some really good photos and then use those imagery or assets and maybe create like a zine or something that we could share with our friends or people, you know, not necessarily selling shops, but just to share with friends or people that we know, um, just so that people have an idea about the community and about different communities. And on the back of that, we we did we went to Brixton Market. And for anyone who knows Brixton Market, if you prefer Brixton Market, it's I grew up in Brixton as well, so I know Brixton very well, but Olga obviously didn't. And um, we both went to Brixton Market, and I remember us just, it's incredible the people that you meet there. And I think more so because of how different it's changed over the years from when I was there as well, in a sense that, you know, there's all different walks of life in as well. So we took some photographs, people in the area, spoke to people in the community, um, took some recordings as well. And then we just started to kind of create like little mini magazine, mini zines for these. And then we just thought, well, actually, if we're starting to do stuff separate to our actual full-time work, by the way, we just thought, why don't we actually just do this as like a regular, you know, mates hang out, go to different areas of London, or not just London, anywhere we can find together, travel, take photographs, make it into a little magazine just for our own purpose. And that stemmed off from doing that. And then we ended up, <laughs> sounds crazy, but we ended up having the opportunity to <clears throat> work with Westminster City Council um, to end up basically giving talks at schools and universities. So we ended up showing the magazines that we would work on. Um, we showed photographs of the people that we took. Um, uh, and in my job, really, as a designer, because obviously Olga being a photographer, was to get all these assets and then create an editorial piece. So I would showcase this in the events that we spoke at. Um, and I think that was cool. I think for myself and Olga, like, we, we've always, I mean, we're very good friends, which makes life so much easier when you work together because it's just, she will tell me straight up if something is wrong. And I love that because the honesty is there, the transparency is there. And um, yeah, we've just kind of been working ever since then. I mean, now, at the moment now, it's been a little bit slower because obviously life kicking in and COVID happened, all these you know, elements that, you know, made everyone kind of stop for a bit. Um, but for me and how Olga and I see it, Olga and Kay is something that will always just, it will be there because as long as we're still friends, which she's one of my closest, closest friends, you know, it will always still be there. There's a project that comes up, we'll jump on it, or if someone wants us to give a talk at a school, which we've done a lot of talks at schools, um, about the idea of collaborating and, and being aware of your community. Um, yeah, we'll just keep on doing it as, as a result of it. So uh, there was a lot of rambling on, but hopefully that, that makes sense in terms of... No, absolutely, it wasn't rambling, rambling at all. And um, what's great about that is, and I shared this in a bit of a post recently, and it was about personal projects, Um and how there's a there's a tendency for a lot of people as designers to kind of to go straight to the context and the project aspect and really undervalue the personal aspect of a personal project. Um, and it sounds to me like you didn't kind of come blazing out the traps with a formed idea and everything else, which I think is is beautiful. And I, I you know, would you agree that that's really important in terms of letting letting the work come to life first and letting it be in its organic form? 
and then see what might you know what it might work in because that isn't that the, the fun and isn't that the joy of personal projects a hundred percent i think when you because you know as designers i mean i'm a bit of a perfectionist and i overthink as well i know that for fact and i think it was very easy to okay if we're going to work together what is the end goal are we going to be selling are we going to how do we make money like how do we sustain all these elements but bearing in mind this was separate to our actual full-time i mean all as a freelancer i was full-time at the time this was separate to our actual you know what allowed us to make money for our living so this was very much just for for the fun of it really and for the enjoyment of it and i think it organically grew because we started to put you know our energy into it so we'll meet up on the weekends we'll grab a coffee we'll grab brunch and then we'll start talking about ideas for a project and you know there was no obviously we had you know certain rules in terms of maybe some ideas for deadlines and things we want to actually produce and and when but what was quite cool is that, like you said, organically things kind of just grew, and then we started to make a lot of um, connections and friends throughout events we went to. Um, and I think that that when I'm with Olga on stage as well, it's one of those ones where we're giving talks. It's it's so important to, um, I think, when you've got good energy of someone that you work very closely with, it complements you, and you complement each other. So for me, when I'm on the stage with Olga and I'm talking at an event, or even when I'm talking at schools, schools, which can be quite daunting when you've got, say, an assembly hall of, I don't know, seventy kids, and you think, oh crack, if I don't, if I don't say something, you know, remotely intelligent or something that's substantial, they're gonna whatever. But when you've got someone like Olga, where you know, even if I'm a bit lost in my thoughts or we're on stage, something happens, she's got my back, and vice versa. So it is very much, you know, we are collaborative. You know, we work together on projects when we can, but we're we're close friends first and foremost. And I think that is the real, you know, heartbeat of how we operate as a, as a collaborative. So, so yeah, to answer your question, that that's kind of how we've kind of organically grown. And then, you know, when we have opportunities to collaborate with other people, charities, you know, we've had the opportunity to do it over the years, which has been really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, I love the, the homeless heroes here. I, I think that's fantastic. Right. And uh, so, just gives a little little snapshot of that. Sure. Yeah. So we we um, collaborated with a homeless charity called Homeless Heroes Aid, um, and they basically work with veterans who, once they've come out of um, from the war, it's difficult for them sometimes to integrate back into society. Um, so this platform's kind of there to help them get back onto you know, how to integrate in the community. Um, and Olga and I, we we I think we collab, I think we connected with them via, I think it was on social media or LinkedIn perhaps. And then we met up for a coffee and we started to just sort of, you know, bounce ideas for something we could work on together. And the thing that really struck out for us was the amount of homeless people that are in London. There's a lot of homeless people, which we all kind of, you know, see on a day-to-day basis. And Olga and I and and, um, and the Homeless Heroes Day team, we worked on a project um, called Touch Magazine. And the, the very basic um, overview was that we went to different parts of London, um, we visited different parts of London, and we would interview those who were homeless obviously their permission, we spoke to them, um, we photographed them, we transcribed, um, we got the information through recording, the the, the conversation we had, um, and then we transcribed it and we made it into a physical print. Um, and the idea was that with this print that we created called Touch Magazine, and I explained in a minute why it was called Touch, but the idea of this magazine was that, not to sell into shops, but when we give talks at schools, we use it as an educational tool to actually show how it's possible to, you know, to collaborate and to work on projects that is about your community and show something that's called physical format. Um, so that's why we did it on the basis of that. Um, and the reason why it's called Touch was because one thing that was even more apparent to us is that when you really walk past someone who's homeless, people don't tend to actually engage, especially physically of any nature. So um, the one thing that we when we found we spoke to a lot of people who were homeless was that a lot of them actually don't want money. It was a conversation, just a chat. 
And that that really, I think it, we all of us that was there on the day, me myself, Olga, and, and Homeless Heroes, we learned quite a lot about even how we perceive homelessness as well. So we thought if, if that's how we're seeing it, you know, imagine being able to share this work, body of work with, with schools or colleges or younger people so mm. that they have a bit of an idea about how they perceive homelessness and then hopefully something could come from it in terms of how they you know, can move forward. So, so yeah, that was a nice project to work on. Um, quite an impactful project because, like I said, it, the, the stories were they were are very hard hitting of course because some of them have been for some traumatic periods but like the one that was really obvious was just the fact that like the one overarching theme was that people just wanted an honest chat conversation about how they're doing and how they're feeling and you know and obviously the money helps of course for physical things or for food or whatever but that idea of having you know human interaction it is so important and it's just a basic necessity you think in human life but they don't have it so so yeah that magazine i think was something that we're quite proud of that we're able to collaborate with uh, how materials they on? Mm, it's really wonderful, warm work, and I think I think it, I saw it mentioned. You know, when you're talking about Olga and care about the desire to create meaningful work, and I think in today's society we we have a a major major role to play as visual communicators, and not just visual communicators, but you know, but writers and the likes, and those kind of collaborations because you know uh, the right to protest is under threat. You know, we're we're living in time challenging times democratically and i think that therefore us as creatives and visual communicators we're going to need to be clever and be subversive and 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 treat different projects in different ways but i really see a rising value in what we do and that's not to give ourselves any badge of honor but actually there's great power power in visual communication 100 is that something you always felt drawn to or was that something that developed through the collaboration or some other way yeah i think um I, I've always, even going back to, to school days, I'm, I'm a visual person. I think I need to, how my brain operates. Um, it, it's, I like to think I'm quite an, uh, an easygoing chap and very, very simple in the sense that, you know, it, it, put it this way, I wasn't very good at maths. <laughs> I mean, that was always a thing in school and, and that's probably why I have an accountant just for that reason. But I think when I, when I see things visually or able to, if I'm getting a lot of information being given to me, I have to kind of draw things out or write pen to paper because, you know, once I see it in, in quite a clear format in that way, it's easy for me to digest. Mm. Um, and that even goes into how I work with clients now where I, I might be given a project. And, you know, when you have that initial briefing where you're kind of bombarded with a lot of content, a lot of information, just go right back to, to step one and just kind of strategically, you know, write it out or even draw it out in my case mm. um, of how things would look um, and then always refer back to that. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of my my, my methodology or way of thinking in, in life in general, not even just with work. Just I, you know, I'm very visual in general, so I think that's helped over the years for me to understand and to digest things better. So I think, well, if I can understand it in that way, I can't be the only one who understands or sees things visually better. So let's try and work in that space and see who else you know <laughs> can can report with me on that front as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and in terms of the meaningful work aspect of things i actually wanted to ask was because i when i first came to london to promote my work when i first started freelancing i used to stay at the hootenanny in brixton oh yeah i was literally <laughs> my own two raw toys behind that right like, okay yeah yeah, no, yeah I mean, and i fell in love with brixton quite quickly i loved the energy there and i mean it's changed quite a lot since then this would have been 2008 and um and there was a there's a yeah i know people in brixton who didn't even know that you could stay at the hootenanny and it's like a it's a hostel <laughs> true love it and it was great, you know. You got a free meal each day there, and and we come and get involved in the nights down there, and it was just a great raucous energy. Um, 
But that, but that growing up in Brixton, well, you know, and that energy that you described there about the market, did, do you think that played any part in your kind of your interest in these quite human centric projects? I think so, definitely. I think um, it's funny because I always say some with my wife, for example. So she's she's from Spain, um, and again, you know, when we first met, the idea of her childhood and my childhood were very very different growing up. And I always think for anyone who's ever been to Brixton and you try to describe to them what Brixton's like, all the energy. It, it it's like it doesn't sleep the area does not sleep and regardless of how it's changed over the years it's still such live wire in the sense that and it's kind of place where growing up as a child you know i'm talking the age of like 13 going to school with my backpack you know massive backpack long school tie walking through bricks and market and the smells you get the people you meet everyone saying hello like people smile whatever and it, there's a lot happening um and i think there's elements of there where that kind of maybe sharpened my skills in the sense of maybe being a bit confident as well. So mm. I think when you go to, when you're in it and, you know, we have background, my family are from Jamaica, Jamaica and America, they're kind of split in the middle. Um, on the Jamaican side, they're quite, they're quite confident. And they kind of tell me, I mean, culturally, we, we, they kind of, uh, especially on my grandparents' side, it, it, it is what it is with them, which I like as well. I appreciate that. There's no faff, right? Mm. And I think that's the kind of, um, not that I've adopted that mentality, but I think that helps me as well to be really clear what I'm trying to get across. You know, the idea of maybe growing up, I would kind of faff around or like when I'm explaining something, there's a lot of waffle. But I think just get to really what you're trying to do and get to what you're trying to say. And I think that came from just being immersed in an area like a Brixton or going to like a family gathering where everyone is similar like that, which also I think worked for me when I went to say Winchester, because obviously, like I said, they're very different areas. But using the things I learned growing up as a child and going to a place like that where, you know, it was difficult because obviously I felt very different, you know, even looking very different as well. It is a thing. But I think it was the fact that because I was quite comfortable in my skin from very young, it allowed me to be, to, to speak to people who maybe necessarily, you know, people might not think I would have spoken to them or, or be in an area where I feel, you know, well, actually I, I should, there's no reason why I shouldn't feel like I can't be in a space like this. Um, so that's always been my mentality growing up and, you know, Moving forward, I think, you know, everyone I meet, or even when I give talks at schools, I always try to encourage that idea that when you're comfortable in yourself, regardless if you want to be a designer or any other craft of life, that will always help because then you you need to kind of have that energy, that positive vibe about yourself first before you can project to others. Mm. Uh, so I've had that mentality and I think that's helped me kind of through life up until now. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, which brings us on to them in this stunning, stunning project uh still breathing how did it come about in the first place like how did you how did you it's, it's harper collins right it's harper collins still breathing oh that was a project my goodness it's um it's quite an emotional one to even discuss because it was so let's go back now so two years ago uh was it two, yeah, it was two years ago yeah two years ago just pretty much when i was just like out on freelance um i was approached by harper collins um in fact let's go even further back I used to work on a um, a project called TEDx Houston um, with a few other creatives and friends of mine. And there was a lady there um, called Nancy, who's a good friend of mine. Now, Nancy works at HarperCollins, parallel to doing TEDx at the time when I was with her. Um, and Nancy put me forward as a designer to HarperCollins. So they reached out to me about this book. Now, kind of fast forward to, to them reaching out to me and bearing in mind when I went freelance, obviously, you know, I had some clients that I could go back to, but HarperCollins being a, you know, not, not, not the smallest brand in the world, right? So they're quite a big brand that do a project like a Still Breathing, which is a 300 plus page hardback book as one of your first freelance projects. I mean, 
nervous doesn't even cut it because i mean it's like a single swim kind of moment right it, there is a lot to take in um but i can honestly say that um with a project such as this it really made it a lot easier having the team at harper collins who were very transparent and very easy to work with so i worked with multiple people at the team but there was two people in particular one called rose sandy who i work with even now on projects and bengono balesa and they were the two kind of main contacts that I work with at HarperCollins. So we would have endless calls. We would discuss content, designs. Um, and I think what made it easier was that we had a really clear plan of what we're trying to achieve. Um, and that was right down from the content, right down to, you know, how the book should look, you know, designs and a real plan. And that made life a bit easier for me in terms of how do I break down a mammoth project of this scale. That Because obviously this was parallel to even other freelance workers on top. So a 300 plus hardback book is something that maybe people will just do as a, as one project and that will be it. But, you know, I'm when I went freelance, my wife and I, we just bought our first property, um, you know, life kicks in. So you need to make it, you got to pay them all, all these things happening. So I knew I had to kind of sustain it. But, um, but yeah, I found the balance. I was able to work on this project and it, I think it was about maybe a four, five month project in itself. Um, so, yeah. It's wonderful. How did, how did you feel reading the, reading the stories? Because that must have had some personal resonance. Sure, I just want to go back. So, so still breathing is um. So yeah, it's, it's a book uh, publication which features a hundred black individuals, creatives, um, from all different walks of life, whether they're in the uh, music industry, politicians, uh, fashion, and whatnot. And it's sharing their lived experiences of racism in their sector. So you can imagine when you've got a hundred people sharing their experience of of racism in their space. It's not a project where I'm talking simply on the content side of things now. It's not a project where you can just lay it out as a designer and not feel somewhat affected by what you're reading, especially as a black creative myself. So to answer your question, it, it was it was difficult. I think it was something that I knew a project like this is so important to work on, not even just for the fact that it's my very first, you know, big major um uh, client job as a freelancer, but I think the idea of I, I don't know how many projects I'll get an opportunity to, to work on that touches on such a sensitive topic and more so that I can feel like I can relate to on an emotional scale. So it, it, it kind of felt to me that I need to make this the best of what I can achieve as, as a designer. But more importantly, people, when they read it, it needs to feel like something that is going to hit home with them and digest because it's not a book that you sit in, you, you digest in one sitting. It's, it's a hardback. There's a lot of content. It's, it's very condensed in terms of the information. Um, so there's a lot to take in which is actually going to the design briefly that's kind of why I've gone down this typographic route with the design because it felt to me if I was to create a book which has such a you know deep content and deep impact about what it's discussing and you're kind of just showing it with loads of imagery it, it doesn't really get across what the people are trying to share in terms of experiences so obviously you've got the text all in you know in grid formats but I've typographically pulled out key comments or key quotes relating to the real you know nucleus of what they're trying to get across at that individual so that's a lot of the book that you'll see there's there's typographic um you know uh, spreads that I've worked on and created so that people can at least get a feel for that particular section before they go into the actual meat and drink i.e the whole content because there's a lot to go through um and I remember putting that forward to the team about going on a typographic route and honestly I it's funny because they were the client that they're a massive client but they were very straightforward I think because obviously again like I said I, I had two people in particular I worked with they were very easy to get along with and and we were very transparent from the get-go so when I put that forward of being 
typographic they were really up for the idea and i kind of thought, oh crikey does that mean all freelance jobs i have are going to be super <laughs> straightforward maybe not but uh but for as an initial you know early naive stage of my freelance career it, it felt it was very um straightforward to i mean don't get me wrong it, it's still a lot of work to do and you're gonna have and there was a lot of times where it's very you know creative block but like i said it was the idea of working on a project that you know is gonna be bigger than yourself once it is you know printed and put in shops and it was because there's a lot of things has come off the back of that so yeah yeah i, used to, I mean i think it's um i think it's absolutely the right approach i mean i sat and spent a lot of time reading it these past few weeks it's, it's stunning by the way it's so well produced but it's um the the clarity is essential because of the the gravity of the topic i mean it's you know it's it's very um i felt a lot of emotions myself reading this you know and i, and I haven't had to experience this you know so that clarity and, and i think it was well, i think it was suzette that said in an interview that this issue racism is can be very can be perceived as very nebulous and i thought that was the nail on the head because nebulous is, is everything this book couldn't be because i mean let's face it some of these experiences that people have had to go through mm. could, not, could not be visually communicated in, in any kind of nebulous way so i think your typographic approach is very very powerful i think mm. it grabs you the moment you land on a spread which it has to do by the scruff of the neck mm. um and then the range in the way people are telling the stories is really quite impressive you know mm. from poetry to yeah. almost short stories and then there's very real just told as it was accounts um so to find that consistency the typographic did that start to flow quite quick once you got working in that way uh i want to say yes i mean when you've i remember sitting in my indesign document and thinking i've never seen so many um <laughs> pages onto one document it's there's a lot of um you know, when you've got a 300-page book plus book, it, it's almost like after the first, what, 70 individuals, you think, how many more ways can I think of a typographic route to... You know <laughs> I mean? It's just like uh, each one needs to feel unique in itself. And that was the reason why I did it, because each one, you know, this is not something that you put in one category and all 100 people fit in it. Mm. You know, yes, in one book, but each one is its own unique experience. So it needs to feel like a unique in, um, you know, individual spread as you go through each single one, which is for colour and the type. Um, but yeah, I, I there was a lot of moments where I had creative blocks and I, I just had to step away from the computer. I had to, for my own sanity. Um, and that was, like I said, it was it was great because um, my wife and I, she, she she was she was studying at the time, so she was at home a lot. So we were both at home working. So we had opportunity to kind of go, go for a walk to, to the lakes or just to step away or go to a gallery, or just something just so separate from a computer. And I think that helped to give me a bit of clarity of how I envision moving forward. Mm. Uh, I kind of live by my Moleskine books. I've got, a, I've got a collection of them, which I always mention in, my, in talks I give, but I generally have them in the back pocket because I could be on a bus or a train or literally anywhere, supermarket. And an idea for, that's a bit weird to say, but an idea for a spread, editorial spread might come to mind just from something I've seen. So I have to quickly just draw it out. I have to, my sanity or honestly, I can't tell you enough how many times I'm going off piece now. How many times I've been in bed and then I just wake up randomly and then my wife's like, he's gone again. Like, I just have to draw something. I have to just draw something because it will go, it will go. My mind's very quick like that. It will just go. And I think it's important to give yourself those moments to step away because that's how things can, you know, like organically come your way without having to chase it down. And that helped for the process of this book, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so striking. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting because I've done, I did an interview what, what I find interesting is the very is the different approaches to dealing with heavy topics 
be their personal or be there. and the thing with this book is let's face it it's 100 people so you can't you have to find a common voice right with you know with within that a, fit, a common visual language then you go to the other end of the scale so i, I interviewed a friend of mine called adelaide the mower who's british Ghanaian last week and she's done this incredible she's doing this incredible lifelong project and it's called confronting the colonizer so she's dealing with these images of her great grandmother from what was then known as the british gold coast back in ghana and it's kind of this she does she halfway through exploring this project she switched from um what was figurative painting back then that she did a lot of to then this amazing performance piece where she channels a kind of great grandmother's spirit and it's just this mind-blowing immensely personal project mm. uh, and I and I and I love that because and then I've got another friend, Dewinda Bansal, who deals with. She was um, first generation of British-born South Asian people, grew up in Wolverhampton, um, and a lot of her projects deal with um, themes within that. But mm. she does kind of these theatre productions, so full-on installations and rooms, and she did one called "The Making of a South Asian Wedding," which is where we first met, and it's amazing. So she's created this full all singing, all dancing, eighties um, front room. And it's great because what you got, it, it was at the Festival of Making in Blackburn. And what you had is all these different people from different backgrounds walking into this front room. And there's a full-on wedding ceremony taking place. You could make samosas with the ladies from the Curry Club in, in Blackburn. And it's just, it was such a fun carnival atmosphere. But what you saw was people walking in. And you would see, so for example, you see local white families walk in. And they you know, look a little bit like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. Walk in the room. And then just before you know it, there's conversations going on. You know, they're making samosas with the ladies. And it, and it was such an incredibly, um, what's the word, tactile, quiet way of presenting and just allowing people to walk in and interpret it for themselves. And what you got was people going, well, this is like my nan's living room was, yeah. you know, regardless of my own heritage. Um, so what across the spread of your project here, this uh, Still Breathing and those two, is just the amazing range that people use creativity to deal with these very heavy topics you know um i mean it, it blows my mind that's a that's such an interesting when you said straight away about this that what you mentioned about that space straight away i thought of the word immersiveness you know just the idea of being immersed within that space and because it is let's be honest it, it's a, it's a conversation that or even the idea of difference can be uncomfortable for a lot of people um a book like this or even the event you just described now some people can feel very uncomfortable and i think there's no way of sugarcoating what this is about. That's the, the idea of why we need to create books like this or have conversations that it's not sugarcoated. But the one thing I think that we can do and that we can always do better is how we deliver the message across, how we're trying to get it across. Because obviously everyone has different ways of digesting information. Um, and when you've got something that is physical where rather than going to an event um, or like a lecture and you're, and you're being spoken to at, you know, when you've got a book or something like this, you're able to take it at your own leisure and digest it in whatever way you feel more comfortable. Um, and I think that's something, even like I said, with my wife being you know, Spanish and very different, you know, she's read a lot of the spreads in the book as well. Um, and she's had to, you know, she's thought about certain things in her own life as well, which she wasn't a part of as well. So I think there's a lot of things that a book like this can really educate um, many, many people in terms of like how other people actually have lived their experiences and things that are more apparent to them. Because at the time, it just maybe doesn't seem as apparent now, but obviously we see in the media, it very much is. But you know, the book itself, it is a it is a very powerful book. I can't stress enough. If when you read it, it's something that, you know, it, you want to be human if you don't feel some sort of emotion reading some of the spreads. Um so it, from my side as a designer, it it was incredible to to design it and to visually articulate um 
everyone's you know uh, experiences but more so that once it was printed and it was done and it's you know this is two years on now the book's been out now just under two years that the book is still in conversation and there's still events that are happening as a result of it people are discussing it and it's a, being a part of a project that's bigger than yourself it's not just me in my room designing which as it was but once it's out people are discussing it and that's for me that was the goal not just you know, oh, making cool designs, it looks good. It's once it's out, people digesting it, conversate, having conversations about it, how does it then make an impact on community and society and people reflect and actually, even more importantly, make action as a result of what they've read. Mm-hmm. That needs to be the kind of way forward. And hopefully it's it's kind of, it's slowly getting there bit by bit of the more things people will push out these days. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you, you spend a moment with each of these people and that goes back to the nebulous thing because when, you know, if, if you're a person who, let's say you come from a background where there aren't a lot of different cultures to your own and then you sort of hear about racism, there's a danger that you hear that kind of, you know, perhaps it's a generation above you and they, and they yeah. make those conclusions on their take on it without ever having spoken to a person who's experienced it. Very true. And therefore, you spend some time with each of these people, and actually, you know, it's much like your projects for the, the you know, the homeless heroes. It it humanizes every person, which everyone deserves, and mm-hmm. I just think it's done in such a powerful, clear way, and had to, you know, like you said, it had to be for those reasons. And what's beautiful about it is, you know, I that one of my closest friends is a black man from Holloway originally. So I've heard through Danny, my friend, you know, I've, I've heard occasional experiences about being, let's say, stopped by a police officer. And, and it, you know, it, that makes me incredibly angry because I love him like a brother. But what that is, is a very, that's just a tiny window. That's one person's experiences. So that can't speak for anyone beyond just Danny. Mm. This can and does very yeah. effectively. And I think that what it does for me is, it, it yes, it makes me angry. It makes me upset at times. But it also empowers me because I've, I've, you know, I studied graphic activism for my dissertation at university. So I've always been very passionate about the power of visual communication. Mm. And it's much like you said there, Kieran, about, um, you know, you being a, a, a person who sees the world and expresses themselves visually quite naturally. I'm mm. very much that too. You know, I can, I'm not confrontational in the slightest. I go to pieces in confrontation. <laughs> You know, I get a little legs very quick, adrenaline starts flowing. Mm-hmm. Give me half an hour to sit down and write that out in a story, and I can articulate it fantastically, you know, or I can create a piece of art that says mm. a million times more than that. So I think that this book as a piece of work also speaks to the power of that. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I, I echo everything you just said. I think that was, um, for us, that was pretty much the, the mission of why we did a book like this. You know, I think, um, it's funny because when we when the book was out, it was during it was it was yeah, what course it was during COVID. Yeah, it was during the COVID, actually, the early stage of COVID. I remember um it was difficult even getting the assets together or doing like in an ideal world you do like a you know uh, a two-day photo shoot with everyone featured for consistency of photographs and whatnot, but we couldn't do that. So we had to rely on people sending imagery over and you can imagine a hundred people from all different parts of London or even England for that matter, sending different assets at all different times. I wanna say it was easy. It wasn't, but it's, it's, again, it's all part of the process well, of going through and, and editing and, and, and whatnot. Um, but once the book was done, we had a book launch and I was able to meet a lot of the people that was featured in the book at the event. And it was honestly such a surreal experience because I felt like I met them already because of me designing their spreads and, you know, and reading some of the content and seeing him and, and to meet him in the person. It was, it was almost emotional, actually, if I'm really honest with you, because like you said, you feel like everyone in that book you've had an insight into something that was traumatic to them or something that they felt like they need to express and share with the world. So to see them in person and, and to talk to them as well, 
I mean, there wasn't obviously a hundred people at the event. There was, a, there was a good few, but I think it was nice just to see them and, and speak to them. And um, and yeah, it was. It felt like we had done justice to what they were trying to achieve when they gave us the content, because you never know again how people will see it in terms of they as a design as well. Um, so yeah, that was really cool to see people how they interact with it that were featured there. And um, and like I said, we we had events since then. We had exhibitions as well, which was cool. We had an exhibition in Brighton a few months back, and that was cool to actually see um you know folks in that space interacting with the designs on on the wall um yeah it's, it is a weird but awesome experience because like i said it was my very first project as well as a freelancer so i thought <laughs> if i can conquer that surely <laughs> it should be smooth sailing right <laughs> yeah. yeah that's about how my life is anyway as we know <laughs> <laughs> was it was it empowering for you to get to work on a project like this as a black man? Oh, understatement 100 percent a thousand hundred percent i am um, you know on the back of this like i said when you know, in bit, being stopped in the shops and having events, I was able to even give talks um, at Adobe Max as well. So I spoke at Adobe Max the same year it came out and I shared the book. Um, I was even flown out to to Washington um, to give a talk at an event, which I said as if that happens, you know, casually. It, it doesn't. That, that was one of those events where you're able to go and to share a publication like this. But I think from my side, it was also quite a nerve wracking experience because the event as well is called Creative Pro Week, which was a fantastic, fantastic event um, to, for people to show how they operate and work within design programs and show work that they've created. You know, I'm I'm flown out to Washington from London, showing a book about you know racism to a room primarily of white people. So you can imagine how that would have felt for me being on stage and being able to talk and articulate it. But you know, I felt I was nervous to be very, very honest. But also, I felt. I'm doing the right thing here by being able to to share something that is important and also to describe my design process. And the people, when they approached me after my talk, it was very, very, the comments were amazing. And I think it was more, you know, how they perceived it and how, you know, they digest the information and hopefully what things they can do in their own lives to try and, you know, be more aware of of individuals that have to go through something like this on a, on a day-to-day basis. So, yeah, there's been a lot that's happened as a result of working these books. And even now, a lot of the clients I work with you know, it ranges, but a lot of it is now around race of some sort or community, um, which is perfect for me because I, I never anticipated that would be the space that I'll be working within, you know, in terms of work. Um, but it is very much, you know, I'm working on a, another hardback publication with a publisher in, in the US and it is touching on uh, black families in particular, which I can't say too much yet because it's, it's still in the process. But again, it, it's nice because we're very much in this space of working on projects involving, you know, the black community and, and sharing with the public so um yeah it's cool to work in that space that's, that's so wonderful to hear actually as well and it was interesting because um you know i, I think you know look to with big issues like this so one of my one of my biggest sort of demons is the climate crisis i get quite low on that sometimes mm. and it feels insurmountable and there's always in my life creativity has been the way I can work through the insurmountable things, the monsters in my life, so to speak. And I heard a, a great comment, and it was from George Monbiot, and he was talking about how we, we, you know, we start to turn the tide, how we can um, convince people to talk about an issue like the climate crisis, which which people don't want to confront for obvious reasons because it's terrifying. Um, but he talked about how we can't, you know, we should. Yes, we preach to the choir. But he said we also we have to speak to, we have to preach to people just outside the choir you know he said we don't take that approach of kind of grandstanding to people who are completely mm. the end of the scale so in that context let's say people who just either don't believe it won't talk about it don't want to entertain the idea and then we'll throw every other you know um dubious fact 
at mm. the issue to, to to whether it's self comfort i don't know because i can't speak about that but but i love that i love the idea of of um of preaching to the people just outside of the choir and and people who are willing to listen people who are good people but maybe just haven't had this in their life whatever the issue might be so i think there what you said about that do that talk to a room full of white people i think that's incredibly powerful actually and and, and what this book does and what doing things like that does talks i think is just you see eye to eye with people and you and it, and it individualizes it which when you do that where people you know I don't, I don't believe that people are born evil i think that yeah there's something there about speaking to people and and you know remaining calm calm enough to have rational conversations to speak like we might in a pub you know um rather than this kind of this horrible toxic culture of tweets and everything else which is you know horrid these conversations should be carried out in pubs you know where we can have... uh, i was just thinking that when you said that i was like that's why a substitute of alcohol which i mean not condoning it, of course but i i, I think <laughs> yeah. something that it, it people use it as a substitute but i think it's more it allows you to feel more relaxed right whether it's alcohol or anything else in general that matter it's something that when you want to have a maybe a real deep chat about something if you can't use something to help you then be able to talk about it if that makes sense whether that is alcohol or any other means of it but like i said maybe it's a case of just taking more um a step forward and just breathe do you know what's funny even yoga i know i'm gonna go, go off pizza but i i've done a lot more recently my wife and i've been doing um you know a lot of breathing exercises or things like yoga and i think it's just being able to just step away and maybe meditate or just breathe and just think a bit more clearly irrational and just stop maybe taking a step back i think um you know even going back into the days of covid when we had lockdown everyone's got various different experiences of what it was like for them. Um, but for us, it was a case of having um, time to just stop because we have to stop. And actually it, it was moments to actually really reflect on what we're trying to do in our life. And I think if people are able to do that a bit more, then hopefully people won't be as, as stressed, but obviously that's not how the world works. So um, yeah, we're just trying to make the best of a bad situation as much as best as we can. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned there you've the start football fan too. There's just something about, um, you know, you're both looking that way. You're not, <laughs> you're, not yeah. to, you're not having to sit down and feel all uncomfortable. It's there's just something nice about that whole day out and going to the football. And you know, I find that's a good space, particularly for guys who might be uh, a little less, you know, find it difficult to talk about emo mm. their emotions. For example, I think there's something to be said about context, you know, and putting yourself in an environment that makes that a little easier. <laughs> that's a very good. Point. I mean, even going to your speech, it's the idea of feeling vulnerable, isn't it? As well, I think it's um, yeah, that's a very interesting point. I think. Like I said, I, I think before we even um, we we're talking earlier on, we talk about going to an event um, sometimes and meeting people who are incredibly talented, but sometimes quite difficult to speak with. And I think it's for me going to a place where I'm, you know, maybe that doesn't don't know anyone. And when I when I leave, I feel like I know quite a few people because I've had nice chats. And I think it's the idea of just being um, not being afraid to be vulnerable around people sometimes. And that's not to say obviously I go there when I'm super confident, but I think it's more. Um, I always think of people, what they were like in school. And that sounds really silly or childish to say, but I always go back to, you know, it feels like sometimes being in a school playground and that feeling of thinking, oh, everyone's looking at me or everyone's thinking about me. It's like, actually, no one really does sometimes. I, I saw a really interesting meme the other day about the idea of when you're, when you're 18 or 19, you care about what everyone thinks. When you're 40, you don't care what people think. And then when you're like older, something like you want people to know what you think, but you just can't bother, something like that. But it was the idea of just, it changes throughout life how you perceive people and, and I think, um, yeah, obviously, I mean, I'm in my mid-30s now, and I think there's sort of that sort of maybe sweet spot where you're like, you're old enough to, I like to think, know a bit better, but also 
comfortable enough in your own body. You know that you can. Well, you know what? If I go to a, uh, an event and not know anyone, it's not the end of the world, is it? If I leave and not know anyone again, it's nice if I speak to at least two people, of course. But I'm not going to lose sleep over here when I get home. But yeah, it's a bonus if you do. So I think yeah. But the 18 year old me would oh, probably go home and have a little cry to myself. But yeah. Uh, that's just the way it is as you grow up, isn't it? <laughs> Speaking of school, have you had the chance to take this project into schools doing talks? Yeah, yeah. We um even I think last year actually. So yeah, I, I work with um quite a few charities and I, I work for a platform called Blueprint for All, um, which they work with a lot of schools, mainly secondary schools and um sixth forms. So I go um, I work with them and I, I give talks at schools and um with still breathing, it's a tricky one because it, the content obviously is is it's difficult and it's hard hitting and for certain um obviously ages as well and because of the content and obviously there's a lot of strong language in the book as well there's this when you first read the book there is a disclaimer about the strong language so it wouldn't be um <laughs> adult of me or to go into a school and then start sharing still breathing with, with some certain words i'll be getting some calls from parents i imagine but um there's certain i mean i've worked on other books which still you know heavily focus on the black community and i've brought those along to to say younger students i'm talking as young as like 12 11 and 12 um and then for example i'm going to a school um in the next two weeks with blueprint for all and then also a sixth form no university of chester chester which i'm speaking at in, in march and that's where i'm able to because obviously a bit older um individual i'm able to bring the book and, and share them and discuss it um but yeah for me you know being able to show a book like still breathing other books i've worked on which touches on race and more so to to young students and young children I mean, that's the that's the sweet spot, because actually, if you're able to, I mean, use the word target, but if you're able to focus really and, and share a book of this cause to young people, hopefully it puts in their mindset certain ways of how they should maybe move forward. And, and not necessarily think, but they are able to think about how they should be you know, more conscious of people in a community and more space. And that's not even just regardless of colour, that's just as a human being, you know, yeah. being respectful of other people. So that's what I always try to do when I, when I bring the book. It's not preaching just for the fact that you know, if you are a black creative, you can't learn from reading the book like this because we've been, that's not it. It's taught. It's, everyone can learn from it regardless of the colour. Um, and I, I really try and put that forward because, you know, that's the only way you can get better in life if you, you know, you, you're respectful and you keep on um, moving forward. Mm -hmm. But without doubt, you know, you will you will be a role model for, for younger people because it's there's just, it's hard to understate. I even think back to myself at university and, you know, people coming in who were doing what I dreamed of doing in the industry. Yeah. But given the nature of the project too, you know, for kids who might feel like, you know, like they're going to face encounter barriers or, or any kind of um, negative reception, um, to see you out there doing incredible work like this, will you know, that's role model tackle, you know. So I think that that's really important, actually, to, you know, to give back in any way, shape or form is vital. Mm. Um but you know, uh, don't underestimate the power of what you're doing. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, I appreciate. I, I, I'll be honest with you. There is something weird about getting into a school again and then and then uh, being called sir. I, I remember when I went to a school recently. <laughs> I think it was the one in Crystal Palace. I went to just before um, Christmas, and then um, <laughs> I'm like, uh, the kids are very different depending on the situation. And um, they, were, they were at the very early stage of the class. They were quite loud and noisy, but by the end of the at the end of that talk, they were really engaged. Which, for me, that was the the sweet spot. And um, I always remember whenever I go to um, a, a class and I'm giving a talk, you know, there's always going to be those troublemakers in the back or whatever, right? Because I used to be, I'm not going to pretend like I was a troublemaker at school. I think I was a good kid in school, but I, I think I had friends who were troublemakers because of the football team and that's a whole thing in itself. 
But whenever I give a talk, if I can see there are maybe four or five kids at the back a bit more, you know, I try and rather than single them out and just talk to everyone at the front because they're the ones that listen the most, I try to get them more engaged because I realize something that, and I don't think it's any top secret, I think most teachers or any adults who work with kids know this, but once you start to speak to them on a level, and more so the ones that are maybe a bit distracted or talk amongst themselves, the rest will kind of follow in that regards. Um, and actually, there are they were quite engaged with the kids that were talking quite loudly at the back when I gave that sport. The difference is, I think, when I first came in, they just didn't think what I would say would be relevant to them. Mm-hmm. So that was where I started to really actually, well, you know, hopefully it was enough for them to then at the end have questions to ask at the end, which I think was great because for me, that is, you know, if I go to a class and speak to 30 kids, if at least four kids at the end have questions and get something from it, that's job done. You know, you can't expect to leave a class of 30 kids and everyone understands, you know. But um, if they can, then amazing. But if not, then at least one or two really understand what I'm trying to get across. And um, hopefully that can only help for them to go off and make their own space and, you know, some the new wave of industry for creatives to come through, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, I'm due to do a talk at a school in Bristol and I've never really done one at sort of high school level. I could be Good luck, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sunday well, best. <laughs> well, if I get called sir, that's a victory. I, know, <laughs> I, I say it's better than ginger bollocks. I'll tell you that. <laughs> just remember, mate, honestly, the chairs are so small. Like, everything is tiny. Like, it's weird. Like, we're like a BFG. You walk in, you're like, I don't remember it being this small. Have I just grown really big? Or is everything really small? But yeah, it's a weird experience going back. But it's cool as well, because you're like, oh, okay. It's, you feel like, how can I say it? you feel like there's a point where you're like, okay, being able to come back and to speak where, you know, I'm 31, but not that I feel like a child, but I know I definitely have child mentalities in certain in certain regards. But when I go to a school, automatically, I feel like I'm a little bit more mature than I need to be. Probably because I have to be because I'm being professional. But yeah, there we go. <laughs> now that I've said I'm live on the recording, there goes my professionalism out the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I do have to watch myself because I find it too funny. I, I, I can't be seen to be laughing. It's like with my kids, I can't be seen to be laughing, you know? It's just like... Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I think we've covered more or less everything I wanted to chat about. It's been wonderful. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, where can people check out your work? Yeah, sure. So kieranlewis.com. Uh, you can find my website on there, on the projects, and then Kieran Anthony L on my Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm pretty active on there, so I'm sharing, you know, pieces of work. Um, but I also do uh, um, uh, my dead now. I also do uh, hosting for Adobe Live. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, but it's basically a platform that allows you to showcase a project you're working on and you can discuss with your community you know your methodology about how you create certain projects so um i i do hosting quite regularly for them and then again we're always on the lookout for people who are you know students or graduates that are keen to maybe showcase their work to the community um so again if you're active and you you're, you know you're interested in doing it you can always drop me a dm on instagram or drop me an email and then um i can share some stuff and hopefully you could be on there as well so yeah you can flash me on those stuff on social media and i'm quite active so uh, yeah Super, but it's been a joy to chat mate and uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing thank you but yeah it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure thank you very much big thank you to kieran lewis for taking the time to come on the show today it was a pleasure to talk to him after all this time of almost getting there and you know losing touch for a little while but this isn't the first time it's happened you know i think there's a lot of instances where a person has got in touch for whatever reason about the show and I've really wanted to do it and it hasn't happened and then you'll find that when it does come around it's a it's an even better time to do it and there's more to talk about and I think it's a big thing and I've been writing about this quite a lot in the book the creative condition that's coming up in the draft manuscripts that 
these timelines are unique to us and we have to trust in them to a degree and sometimes things just can't be rushed whether that's a personal evolution whether it's the you know the the, the times we reach milestones or, or don't reach milestones and then the thing that will come instead of them is is, is just as good and i think that that sort of mindset that these things do work themselves out and work in positively there's a lot to be said about that Anyway, that's enough rambling from me. Um, big thank you to the founding sponsor of the show, Illustration X. You can check out their global range of illustration and animation portfolios now, illustrationx.com. Check them out. We are Illustration X on social. Get in touch, drop us a review, give us your comments and your thoughts on the show if it resonated with you at Ben Talon or at Creative, Condi- Creative Condition underscore. Um, I use my own account more often so if you want a quicker response there or, or email hello at bentallon.com head to kieranlewis.com now to check out kieran's wonderful work and find out more on any of the things we talked about today and that's it from me big ones coming up we're edging towards the 200th episode which is going to be a milestone and i'm still torn about what that show is going to look like but there's some crackers in the bank and there's going to be much more coming up so it's very exciting and I hope you guys feel the same. Have a wonderful week. Stay creative. Take care.